Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I started finally going to a psychiatrist psychologist, they sort of teach me how to take these obsessions and channel them into productive things and not be like an unbridled horse, you know, where you just get off on these tangents. And so, uh, but yeah, it's a part of OCD. A lot of people might not know about, you know, it, uh, how in, the, in depth it was, you know, and I would have sometimes two or three of these fixation things going on at one time. And, uh, and, you know, I didn't know when they were going to end, when they would start. It would just, I would just, it would just trigger. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. If you're looking to hear stories of hope, inspiration, and turning your greatest adversities into your advantage, well, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and struggles with anxiety and depression, I dug into my passion of speaking with people who have transformed their lives. And my buddy Craig Steely hanging out with me today. I mean, you are a shining example of that. I know we're going to go into so many different areas, but... Uh, it's one of the beautiful things about what I do, somebody that you just make a connection with and develop a friendship. So I'm really appreciative of you being here and sharing your story and knowledge uh, to help other people. Appreciate you asking me on. Absolutely. Well, man, what, boy, where do we start? I don't know if I want to start with childhood or some of the fun stories because you've got so many wonderful <laughs> fun stories. For the people that are uh, just uh, uh, listening and not watching on YouTube, I mean, you got the photos with you and Evander Holyfield, some of your boxing gloves in the background. We're going to get into all that. Um, I think let's start with some of those struggles. I mean, you know, uh, early on in, in your childhood and, and, you know, some of the first precursors that you noticed with some of your mental health challenges. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, uh, I'm having OCD and anxiety, you know, different disorders. Uh, but it started out when I was a kid. I would the, the OCD part. I don't do the washing hands and all that stuff. Mine's more of the mental rituals. And so when I was a kid, I would get fixated on topics and uh, to to the extreme. It started out like normal kids having an imagination. I would go to the extreme, and uh, I would get on these topics. I had to know everything that was about it. There, you know, my dad was like, "You don't have an off switch." I mean, it was just, it was over the top. And then uh, when I got in third grade, it, it, uh, it started turning into anxiety, so severe anxiety, uh, constant anxiety, uh, uh, phobias and worrying about things. I would get triggered to mania. Uh, I, I would pull my hair, you know, and uh, I'd pull it out. I would have all these fears of all, all this stuff. It was, it, was, it was very traumatic. Nothing nothing big happened in my life to bring it on, but it just started manifesting itself and uh, started making bad grades, bad separation anxiety. And uh, it just it got terrifying. Yeah. And then you know, as I as I got older, the uh, it took about a year for that stuff, and it kind of went away. The the bad bad stuff, but I, I still suffer from phobias and anxiety, but not that that dark stuff. And uh, until it hit me again, the the, the fixations kept going. But it, again, bad the, the bad anxiety, real bad stuff. Until I was sixteen, I had a panic attack in class, and it, it just came back, and uh, I've been struggling with it since. To help people understand the phobias you had as a child a little little bit better, I mean, I know you, so I know an intelligent sure. man. Was it the was it you would just get, for instance, when I was a kid, I I would be fascinated by sharks, so I had to read an abundance about sharks. Or was mm -hmm. it that kind of a thing? And then from there, almost like a an outward fandom of it. If it was dinosaurs, then you had to have some dinosaurs and read about it. You know. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the, the fixations and stuff started like that. I would get on topics. I'd have to read everything there was about it. 
But then once the anxiety mixed in with it, it was the same thing, but it focused on the anxiety, became OCD. I couldn't get the, the fears out of my head. You know, I just I obsessed on it the same way. It, it was, uh, I would have phobias, uh, not necessarily phobias, but I remember going to the show when I was a kid in third grade and I was eating uh, some popcorn. I didn't choke, but I had a little piece in my throat. Well, it started actually obsessing on it so much, thinking I was going to eventually choke that I didn't eat for a while. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, I would have uh, worried about eating and, uh, you know, if you, this sounds kind of crazy, but if you stick your tongue in the back of your throat on the top, you feel these bumps. And I remember rubbing on my dad's face and he had that stubble and thinking that was going to be hair growing down in my throat and that I was going to choke to death and that you couldn't get out of your head, you know? Yeah. Was there ever any point, that, you know, I mean, well, kids, we have vivid imaginations, but this is, this is a debilitating um, imagination. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Was there certain ways you kind of started to explore it to maybe help, you know, more of a healthy processing or, I mean, or was that not really the time? Because this is what, uh, early 80s, late 70s? Yeah, this was in uh, 1982. Okay. And so, yeah, you know, where I'm from, there there wasn't, especially at the time, you know, mental health, they didn't have the knowledge. I mean, they had the knowledge, but not like they have now, especially the medications. And where I'm from, they didn't have the type of facility, you know, any type of doctors around here to know who to go to. You know, parents are not as educated now, you know, as, as uh, about mental health. So basically in third grade, I just suffered alone. You know, I mean, my parents sent me to a pediatrician and, you know, uh, but they really didn't know exactly what was going on. And so uh, it was it was just a very lonely suffering, you know, and um, we, we had to answer questions about the obsessions. I mean, I kept going on and on through my years and it was, it was very embarrassing because I had no confidence when I was a kid. I had these this anxiety, you know, when I was around my father, he was, you know, very tough guy. My brother, they weren't scared of everything. And here I was, you know, and. So I would, I would, I got to where I started hiding behind these, uh, these, these kicks that we would call them and, uh, and everything. And so as I got older, though, much older, you know, uh, when I started finally going to a psychiatrist and psychologist, they sort of teach me how to take these obsessions and channel them into productive things and not be like an unbridled horse, you know, where you just get off on these tangents. And so, uh, but yeah, it's a part of OCD. A lot of people might not know about, you know, it, uh, uh, in the in depth it was, you know, and I would have sometimes two or three of these fixation things going on at one time. And, uh, and, you know, I didn't know when they were going to end, when they would start. It would just, I would just, it would just trigger, you know, and I would uh, it, it just become this, this fixated, you know, on these, on these subjects or, or what have you. And then the anxiety, you know, I, I thought it was separate, you know, through my, through my years, but and they were all together and they were making feet off each other. You know, because uh, as I would, the obsession with when I would, when I had the anxiety, and so, you know, this this feeling, I couldn't get my mind off of it. You know, and then the imagination stuff, it just it became, you know, just it, it was hard to handle. You know, and then sixteen, when I had my first panic attack, I uh, months after going almost a year suffering with it, I finally went and got help in uh, nineteen ninety, sort of getting psychiatric help. You know, got on medications, and you know, it was just a uh, and and the trial and error of medicines, you know, and, and working on them then finally got put on one and it, it you know, worked good for years, you know, it kind of it made it go away for years. Was there a lot of ostracizing from peers? No, I hit it. I hit it very well. You know, I mm. talked to my friends now that I went to school with and they didn't even know, you know, I was able to hide it. Now, that's what was so bad is, um, uh, now my parents knew about it and stuff, but, I knew there was something going on, but but you know I was I was a good actor. I was able to hide it, and uh, and that made it even worse because you know you're internalizing it, and uh, you, you can't express yourself. You know when you, you're all this is going on, uh, and so it, it, it you know it's, it, it was it was very uh, uh, you know bad. It was miserable. Yeah, oh, it's a horrible feeling, and I'm yeah. I'm still amazed that you know that there wasn't points of. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Where was I going? I'm just surprised that possibly, you know, addiction didn't play more in because we try to, you know, quiet a lot of these things. I know for me, a lot of it with the trauma and, and challenges that I had with anxiety and depression, you know, it was mm -hmm. uh, it, it became a very easy thing to continue to stay at the bottom of a bottle. Right. Well, with me. The one good thing about anxiety it was kind of governor on me is that it, I was scared to death to do drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I didn't know what it would do to me. So a lot of the fear kept me from doing it. You know, and I, I never 
I never looked toward drugs as an answer. You know, I just, I figured, man, I'm, I'm bad enough. I am. If I do that stuff, it's going to make me get even worse. You know what I mean? Like I'm bad enough. And I, I even was a big drinker. And actually drinking had an adverse effect. It, it made my anxiety and stuff worse. And so, but I never was a big drinker. You know, then when I, then when I got on the medications, I was very responsible with them. You know, the, the first one was Xanax. Because, uh, you know, the, the only people probably aren't familiar with any depressed, but the SSRIs that were at the time was only Prozac at that time. Right. And so uh, they, they put me on that one on a small dose and uh, he put it in. Mm-hmm. But uh, it wasn't until I, I got on Paxil that really, uh, really did away with it. You know, and that was in 1997. So I'm going to go struggling. It put a little dent into Prozac, but not, not like the Paxil did. You know, and so uh, I, never, I never really drank on my medicines until years later uh about probably eight years ago uh i started socially drinking and stuff like that and i noticed that i started having these symptoms coming back you know until eventually it made my medicine quit working and i didn't know at the time that alcohol makes your antidepressant quit working it counteracts it you know and i didn't know that so my medicine quit. was like why is this coming back you know and then i went through five years of a living nightmare after that you know trying to no medicines were working. The old medicine didn't work switching and, and it was until I finally hit the, another right one, you know, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been a struggle. I want to kind of jump back. You're talking about around 16 is when you started getting psychiatric help. Right. Right. At 16. That's yeah. Yeah. I think the first time I saw anyone was maybe 18, 19. Um, yeah. and I, and we're pretty close in age. It, I mean, it wasn't really talked about then, you know, there was almost like a stigma, right. like a shame onto it. I mean, how did you, was it something along with the, you know, you said friends didn't know, um, it was not something you didn't talk about with them, let alone what about your family? My family, I did, you know, but I kept it secret. You know, I didn't even think I was, you know, going crazy. You know I mean? I didn't know what was going on and it was constant and uh, I look back now on how I did it, but finally went to my family and I just said, look, I, I didn't, you know, I don't really remember it. I kind of, you know, blurred memory at the time, but I said, I need to, you know, I broke down, said, I need to see somebody. I'm losing my mind, you know, and that they finally got me, you know, the, the help I needed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was, but like in 1990, you know, especially back then, they still didn't have the the knowledge and everything that they do now. You know, I think it was, it was a turning point in the 90s to where it started, you know, uh, coming out more and the medications really blew up in the 90s. And uh, I'm learning, you know, about it. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it still had a stigma on it, you know, about going to get mental health. And, and don't you think, I mean, with the advocacy work you do now, so you speak with a lot mm-hmm. of younger folks in your mentorship, mm-hmm. there still is some of that there, but it's getting better. It's getting better, you know. And, and uh, yeah, people don't, they don't understand it. You know, they, they don't realize that the brain is an organ just like the liver or, or whatever, you know, and then just like enzymes in the liver can go bad, so can neurotransmitters in the brain. And it's a lot more complex than liver. But, you know, people think, well, uh, they don't understand that the brain, you know, it does your emotions and all this stuff and, and it can get sick. You know, it can, it can get like anything else and it's okay to go get help. Just like, you know, if your liver was going bad, you'd go get help with your liver, your heart, with the brain, you know, there's help out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's available. It still needs to be... There's a lot of work to be done. We need more, you know, the brain's the last frontier. I think we're now scratching the surface. I don't really understand it, but uh, it's uh, it's okay to get help, you know? Yeah. And, and the stigma, and, and that's my thing, is to try to go in and tell people, you know, that uh, that it's okay to get help, you know, and that, that you're not alone. There are people to help you. There is hope. You can get better. You know, you, you can get better if you, if you go get help and work with it and be patient and really, uh, you know, strive to do better you, you can get better how what were you doing um you know i mean you figure teenage years it's kind of first jobs and then really to provide for yourself late teens early 20s well you know i didn't finish high school you know i, I uh quit school in ninth grade i got my ged but uh, i went to work for my dad he owned a, a commercial paint contracting company mm. and uh, uh i've taken it over now and i, and I own it but, uh i went to work for him you know, I mean, I couldn't sit in class. Um, it, it felt like, you know, I was claustrophobic, like everything was just taping in on me. So uh, uh, I eventually just couldn't couldn't sit in class, you know. So I, didn't, I, so I went to work for him, and it was a reality check because when I went home, my dad was one of the guys. I went home, and I told him, I said, I don't want to go back to school. It was in the morning. And uh, he said, sit down. He said, sit down. 
And he said, you know, most kids have their high school years and their college years to figure out what they want to do with their life. You got 30 minutes. He said, by the time <laughs> I get to, uh, by the time I get out and get to getting ready, you're going to tell me if you're going to work or going back to school. So he got ready to come in there and he said, uh, well, what do you want to do in your life? I said, I'm going to go to work. He said, go put your work clothes on. It's what you're going to do the rest of your life. And from that day on, that was my wake up call. Wow. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, struggling with the anxiety, sure. you know, and all that stuff, it was, it was even tough, you know, so, but, but I persevered, you know what I mean? While you're checking knocking doors down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150 LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug-free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. What were primary clients? Was it, you know, like uh, residential, uh, business, uh, you know, what? Well, we did residential, we did residential and commercial then, you know, okay. years later. We uh we just went straight into commercial. I just do uh, schools and stuff like that, major commercial jobs. Sure, I was curious because I was I was wondering then what what you know kind of interaction you had with other folks through work. I mean, was it primarily you, Dad, hired hands? Yeah, we we had workers. You know, I mean, we we have pretty big crews and, and do jobs. So uh, you know, I check the jobs and stuff like that. You know, and run them. But it gives me time. I talk to people. You know, and I've come across a lot of people that I get them help. You know, that uh, are on jobs and everything, and talk to them. And you know, uh, would it be alcohol or whatever kind of problem they're having? You know, I try to get them help and and stuff like that. You know, with the jobs. Yeah. So you know, I try to I try to do what I can there too. It's it's. Re- Really interesting how our lives can play out and then our, again, what our disadvantages at one point become our advantages. I mean, exactly. You know, you, yeah. you're, you're so articulate and with such wonderful energy. And I wish I could share with the audience some of our wonderful conversations that, mm-hmm. that we've had. But, um, it's, I, I just, I'm very fascinated by how that played out to be for you. Yeah, you know, at 16, that's when that's when I got into boxing. You know, is that I was looking, I was looking for something to get my mind off of uh, of what I was going through. You know, so I had there was no boxing in my area at the time, and so a friend of mine, his daddy, had been a professional fighter, he had lots of professional fights, so he had trained him, and he started teaching me, and then I started doing backyard fights because there was no uh, there was no gyms around that there was, but I could never find this guy. You know, it ends up how things play out, but. I started doing backyard fights, fighting guys from schools and other schools and everything. And my names were getting around. And my teacher, uh, one time he, he told me, I never put two and two together about Dick Manchaka. You can look him up on Wikipedia. He's a pretty good legend guy from my area. And so, but I couldn't find him. You know, he was like 72 years old at the time. And my teacher, I didn't know that was his uncle. And so he told me, I thought I was in trouble. You know, he pulled me to the side and said, uh, this is where I quit school. And he said, uh, have you, you know, I've been hearing, we've been hearing about this boxing you've been doing. Why don't you turn it into a sport? And I said, man, I look high and low. I can't find a gym. He goes, well, have you ever heard of Dick Manchaka? And I said, well, yeah, but I can't find him. He goes, well, he's my uncle. I've called and talked to him. And he said, you could go to the gym. He just works for pros. So I went down there and, and you know, the rest is history. I started training there and we got very close, uh, me and his family. And, uh, you know, it, it, it took off and ended up, uh, leaving there. And I was able to be, uh, trained under Kenny Weldon, a very good trainer. Yeah. And uh, it's funny how things play out, you know, where I eventually, you know, uh, you know, the rest of the story with, you know, who, who I know and everything. Kind of <laughs> well, you know? we're going to get into that. We're going to get there. Okay. But my, I got to yeah. ask you with, with your OCD, did this, 
was this a part of that first really channeling it in a positive way? Because I could see that yeah. that you, the way your brain works, it becoming mm-hmm. a really powerful thing because with, you know, maybe people that haven't trained in a in any kind of a martial art, which I do put boxing in that realm. A lot of people don't, but I do. Um, did did it really help with it kind of going from, you know, a, a practice to when you get in the ring with someone else, this stuff just has to be second nature. You know, you have to know when you need to slip the jab and, you know, when's if this guy drops his right shoulder, that's when you need to go in with a hook and all these things. Did it? Did you find it really started to help you? I didn't have the, the, the training like that. You do like you're saying, so start out, I had a heavy bag in my backyard. My buddy come over hmm. and I would hit this heavy bag for hours. It was something to... And what's funny about it, you know, I always kept thinking it's going to be a kick like the rest of them. You know, I'm going to lose interest, but I've never, you know, it's been 30 something years. I haven't lost interest since I fell in love with it. And so uh, I would hit the heavy bag. I mean, I remember in school, I couldn't even hold a pencil. My hands would hurt me so bad. I would sit out there for hours and this energy release, this energy gave me something to focus on rather than that, you know, it's something and learning it. And so uh, um, we'd watch the old fights on TV and I would take notes and I would practice until I got with Dick Manchaka. And he started teaching me a lot more. And I started sparring with his pros and everything, you know, and uh, he didn't really work with amateurs that much, you know, just the pros. So I, I sparred with them and sort of learned, learned a whole bunch, you know. And then when I got with Kenny Weldon, that's when I really learned a whole bunch, you know. Yeah. And so to, to answer your question about, you know, the, the dodging and stuff is that, you know, yeah. It, and what's, what's funny is that it taught me how to learn about uh, overcoming fear. You know, because when you get into boxing, ring, you know, you, you're, you're, it's a lot of fear. It's a lot of emotion. So it, it taught me how to try to, con, you know, control emotions and everything. And so uh, it, it was a, I, I love the sport. I, I could only imagine. I mean, I, the, the farthest I've gone with anything is just uh, what would we call rolling in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that form of sparring. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know. I do a lot of ring announcing for MMA and I have done boxing mm-hmm. and pro wrestling, but really mm-hmm. when you stand across from another opponent, the goal is for them to beat you. <laughs> we know how, yeah. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I couldn't imagine, you know, really having to shut down a lot of those things. I mean, you really f- were, I don't know if gifted into something or how you want to put it, but to really face a lot of those challenges up in your, that take place up in our mind. Where you, you know, you, you think as much as you can, but in boxing, they're saying if you think that if you're waiting to throw an open, see an opening, you know, it's too late to throw the punch. Everything has to be reactive. You have to do it over and over and over so many times, like learning how to ride a bike. You know, it's got everything's reaction in boxing. So, uh, you know, you try to just react and, you know, you're trying to keep your mind. You got to focus and watch everything, you know, because the punch that you don't see is the one that knocks you out. And so you, you try to stay focused, you know, and, and, and everything and clear your mind. So, in actually in boxing, when I was actually, you know, boxing, that's when my mind was really, um, it's hard. It's when it really didn't have the anxiety and everything because you have to be so focused on what's going on. I had kind of some relief, you know, at the time. And I know it sounds crazy getting hit because I tell people, you know, they're like, they watch, you know, boxers do it or whatever, and they don't think it hurts. But I'm like, imagine running or exercising and you're trying to stop and take a breath and a guy's trying to take your head off at the same time. You're trying to fight him off. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's, it's more mental than what you really imagine, you know? Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. And the best, I guess, experience I can equate while you were talking about that, uh, Craig, is, is when I go like go kart racing or something, you mm-hmm. know, I'm sitting there talking with myself and reminding myself uh you got to look into the turn and start to turn before the turn's coming up and you know if you want to overtake this guy you got you know and it's it's it really is those things where we get like nothing else is going to come into your head it can't because if you start thinking did i leave the oven on all of a sudden comes that punch you didn't see Right. Yeah. You got to stay pretty focused and you know and and you you're you just like I say you got to you got to react and think you know, about how to set a guy up and stuff like that. But there's not much time of, you know, especially in that's why you have to spar so much and, and do it over and over, you know, so it becomes repetitious and, uh, you know, in doing it. And, you know, then later on, I got to my, my passion, I got to training fighters. And that's what I really loved was was uh, when I became a trainer, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and training fighters and everything. That was that, that, that became my really my passion after that. Yeah, I want to dig into that here in a second. But, I, you know, I thought that, Cross my mind is um, working with some newcomers in recovery and 
they they get the fear of uh well i i kind of suck at this and it's like you're gonna suck at anything new you know mm -hmm. it, it's new to you uh yeah. you know and some you might be more inclined in some areas or whatever it is but how do you really like encourage that you know stepping into that stepping into the uncomfortable stepping into the new well you talking about as far as training hey, training life i know that you have young folks that that reach out to you and after you share your story and yeah, I mean, you know, like I tell them when they come in the ring, I would never look at what a, what a person looked like, you know, because it, it, it doesn't matter where the guy looks. I and mean, people think you got to be big and tough, and it, it's hard. It's what you got. You know, I look for determination and willpower. And so, you know, I always had them doing line work, uh, you know, practicing their moving and, and the rhythm and all this stuff. And I would, when I was moving away from them, I'd watch the ones, and they'd be talking, or they'd kind of cut the coin, you know, uh, not take it serious, but I'd watch the ones that are by themselves going up and down that line doing it. And it would show me they had willpower because that's something that's that's very unique when a fighter comes there and you know you you don't want them to quit. That's that's everything is persistence. So I would take that kid and I would, you know, I'd build their confidence up, you know, and encourage them, teach them about fear and emotions and everything. And I would, you know, because if if you if you overload them and stuff, you can if you throw them in the ring, a lot of guys would say, Well, let's see how tough they are. I never believed in that because you know, you if um you can put a spark out pretty quick like that, you know, is is put them in there and, and gradually build them up and give them confidence and encourage them. And I didn't care if I made a champion or not. You know, I mean, I was fortunate if I had, you know, uh, amateur champions and stuff like that. And I ended up, you know, training guys to become champion. But I didn't look at it like that. My thing was I would tell them every time after the first five fights, because your first five fights, even more, they're, they're very tough, you know, because you're getting in the ring, you don't know what to expect. And I would tell them, you know, it doesn't matter what the judges think because, you know, it's, it's their opinion or how they count the punches. And I said, the crowd, 99.9% .9 of them don't have the, the fortitude to get in this ring. And I said, don't worry what I think because you're a winner to me anyway. I said, the main thing is to do your best. Go out there and just do the best you can. And don't, you know, don't give in to fear and don't give in that and just do the best you can and you're a winner. You know, it doesn't matter. And that's such a challenge. Why I love competitive sports and is what you iterated there is that, you know, a lot of society sometimes they're going to sit and they're going to say things and they're going to judge. And and like you pointed out in, in so many situations, uh, you know, when I'm at sporting events, I can't stand when someone, ah, oh, you suck. And it's like, here you are, your fourth beer in, dude. You, you, yeah. you, you clearly don't care about your diet, your second thing in nachos. And you're sitting here slamming a guy that has an off night who's dedicated 100,000 hours towards this right. sport. You know, it's right. kind of like, but it's hard to not let that in. I mean, just our brains naturally gravitate towards the towards danger to, to, to alert us. So thus, yeah, we can hear the negative. You can have 999 people cheer for you, but you can end up focusing on that one person that boos, you know? Yeah. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying, and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. And, and that's what I love about boxing. And I could relate to it because going through what I went through, I was alone. It was just me, you know. And so, and we all do that and we struggle. But I, I could relate to boxing because boxing, you know, in that middle range or your corner, you know, you don't have a, um, and I know football, but you, you don't have a lineman blocking for you or the, the receiver to make the catch, you know, and all that stuff. It's just you and then the spotlight's on you. And so it was, it was, I can relate to it, you know, that it's, uh, it's you kind of, basically against you, even though you have an opponent there. And so it was, it was a very lonely time when the bell rang because, you know, it's just you and him. There's nobody there except for the referee, the, you know, whatever. And, and that's what it is. And, and so uh, I could really relate to it. And so I, I related it to life because I look at life like being in a boxing ring, you know, is uh, you have all the emotions pretty much in the fight that you're going to have in life. You're going to, you're going to have fear, you're going to have tire, you're going to have discouragement, you're going to have, you know, loss of, you know, so, all these things you have to battle, you know, while you're in the ring. And so uh, it, it, it teaches you a lot, a lot of discipline. And, you know, a, you can't quit.
Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you kind of give up and they're slightly, here comes that punch you didn't yeah. see. Yeah, you know, and, and it shows what a person is, you know, because when you get hit, you know, sometimes, you know, it's it stuns you, you're not really thinking. And so it, it shows what you really have on the inside because that's when, you know, the, the not quitting comes in. You know, you have some people that just, and, you know, and boxing's not for everybody. Some people just, you know, they quit. They don't want to do it. Then you have some people just try to survive. You have some that try to overcome, you know, and really try to strive to win it. You know, and that's, uh, that, that's a, you know, that's a, a rare deal. But that, that's what I learned, you know, because that's the way I looked at, at, uh, at life is that you, you can't quit, you know, and, um, and there's only, you know, keep going forward and keep, and keep striving. Yeah. And I think that so many things and why, you know, it's so good for young people to be involved in something, especially if they have a good mentor. And while we're talking, I'm I'm thinking of the Mickey voice, you know, down it, Rocco, right. keep fighting this guy hard, you know. Yeah. But we all need that because we can get those negative voices planted in our heads really young, you know, and we right. can say some really mean things to ourselves. And it's generally not originally in our voice. We just buy into the bull. So it's right. really great that, you know, you've done that, that you've, like I said, taken what you've been through and passed it along. And that's what I love. You know, I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm at the store and I have kids that I trained 15 years ago come up to me, you know, and I don't really remember some because I've grown up and they, they tell me how they've been successful in life and that how I made an impact, you know, and that, that means everything to me yeah. is, you know, even if they didn't go on to do whatever it's, you know, it helped them in life that they say, man, it, 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 it built up my confidence. You know, it, it taught me anything. I, when I watch them, you know, how they excel at their jobs and everything, it's, you know, it just makes everything worthwhile. Yeah. You know, well, and you know, you've, you've got so many wonderful things th that are going to be coming to fruition, your book, the film, uh, mm -hmm. But I think such a wonderful part and story that you shared with me, because we, you and I were talking about faith of I, as I've dug into mine more and more in my mm -hmm. um, my sobriety. But but I just love how Evander Holyfield played a role in that. It, it played a massive role, and then became a friend. He's like my brother now. You know, I mean, he's uh, yeah. It's it's amazing, you know, because Evander. Even when I wasn't, it wasn't in the box in 1984 when I watched him in the Olympics, you know, that there, there was something about Evander that just caught my eye. And even, you know, I wasn't a big boxing enthusiast at the time. I would always watch Evander. You know, it was just something about the guy when I watched him, you know, as cruiserweight and, and fighting and all that stuff and the movement of the heavyweight. And so, uh, you know, when, when he went to fight Tyson, you know, he, he looked like he had been fighting too many wars, you know, at the time. He wasn't really looking good. And Tyson gets out of prison. He's knocking everybody's running lights out, you know, and, they match him up. And, you know, I always heard Evander talk about the Lord, you know, and I was like, hey, that's all right. I love the boxing part, you know, and he would always give glory to the Lord. And so they match him up, you know, Tyson's sitting there and, you know, everybody, the whole world thought he was, I mean, pretty much going to lose. I think except maybe Ron Borges with the meat, you know, <laughs> gave it to him. But I mean, very few, I mean, maybe Teddy Atlas or something, but probably had him, you know, a big underdog. And I thought he was going to lose. I was like, man, what are you doing? You know, just get out of boxing and, he was, you know, he was sitting up there at the, at the press conference and he says, you know, uh, hum humbly, he said, I'm going to win. He said, uh, I had the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going to win my knockout. And I said, man, this guy's done got fanatical, you know, flinchy or something. I mean, like, you know, what, you know, what? Yeah. And so I have a, I had a going away party for him. And I watched every one of his fights. And so at this time I'm into boxing, you know, at this time I'm training fighters, you know, and, and he's been my idol. When I really got into boxing, Vander was my idol. And so as I'm as uh, I'm watching this fight, you know, I got out my friends. I was kind of went to a hoodlum stage and everything. I, I didn't have no direction, and so I heard him say that. And when he get when he's long story short, when he's fighting the fight, you know, he ends up as I'm watching this thing. It's it's no longer a uh, a fight. It's something spiritually drawing me. I'm, I'm and I know it sounds weird to fight, but I was picturing the whole world saying this guy's going to lose. You know, and here's Mike Tyson up there, and, and Evander's handling him. You know, Tyson just looking to try to quit. The injuries are knocking him out. And this whole fight, something's drawing me in my spirit. Then after the fight, when Freddie Pacheco, the fight commentator, you know, got on there and he says, Evander, how did you pull off this miraculous upset? He said, I'm led by the spirit of God, whatever God wants me to do. He says, well, let's get off God. Let's get back to boxing. Hopefully God's here for everybody. How did you do this? And he kind of grinned at him. He said, because I'm led by the spirit of God. He said, I'm washed up. And with Jesus Christ, I'm not washed up. And something said, I went with that guy's God. Yeah. You know, not the boxing part, but I said, I want that where – 
you know, because I always felt like the, the whole world, this anxiety stuff won't leave me alone, you know, and I, what, what am I going to do? And I said, I want that. And so I ended up, something was telling me, you know, go upstairs and, and I had a Bible upstairs, you know, it had dust on it. And I went up there and said, we started reading it. Well, I read it, I didn't understand it, you know, and the next day the Lord put the perfect person in front of me. We, uh, my dad was working for my dad and we were doing these, these housing authorities, you know, in the, in the bad part of town. And there was a laborer guy out there. He was in his forties. I was 22. And he looked mean, boy, he had a mustache and beard. This guy was built and he had been in the penitentiary, you know, for gangs and stuff, but he had been a minister for 10 years. So I didn't know who to talk to. So I, I said, and he's like, Johnny, I said, Johnny, come here. You know, and I told him what happened. He said, God's calling on me. I mm-hmm. said, what do you mean? He says, he said, he's using Evander Holyfield to draw you to him. I said, what do I do? He said, pray. Just talk to God like you're talking to me. And so, you know, long story short, nothing was happening. I prayed and eventually, you know, uh, uh, turned my life to the Lord. You know, we, uh, one night uh, when I was praying, you know, a big transformation experience happened. And uh, so for five years after that, People would tell me, you're the right evangelist telling this. I said, man, this stuff's going to get lost in fan mail. I'll get a picture with an autograph, you know, whatever. Well, Kenny Weldon, that trained me, we were at a Kinder, Louisiana, at a casino where I was cornered fights and amateur deal. He was there. He never knew this. So he just came up to me one time and said, do you want to meet Evander Holyfield? You know, I'm training him in Houston for the John Reese fight. And I was like, are you serious, man? <laughs> he was like, yeah. I said, so I told him, he was, man, someone just told me to ask you. So I went there and um, – when I'm you know, sitting there, I was, you know, training nighttime in Houston and I drive a couple hours there, you know, and I see this white flatbed truck get up, get out, I mean, pull up and I see this guy get out. It's Tim Hallmark. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he trained tons of champions. He was a sports and strength and conditioning coach that trains a lot of champions and a wide variety of athletes. I mean, he's just remarkable. And he was, a, you know, very Christian guy and very approachable. So I'm telling this, we're walking up there and he's shaking his head. He's like, I got to tell Holy this, man. I got to tell Holy. So he comes in, he puts, you know, Evander trains and at the end of he's sitting in the ring and, you know, we have group prayer before and I'm in all looking like, oh my God, there's, you know, this guy that just, I've been idolizing and saved my soul. And so he gets in there and he's pointing at me and he's telling Evander, you know, and Evander's looking at me and he, he comes up to me and Tim says, go in the ring and I want you to tell Evander everything that you told me. Huh. I said, okay. So I go in there and Evander's looking up at me, man, I'm just telling him everything, you know, really in depth. And we start talking and so I went, you know, two or three other times and stuff. And, you know, I ended up uh, drifting off, you know, from, from seeing him and everything. And I went to Bible college and eventually I was sort of drifting away. You know, um, my doctor changed my medicine. Uh, this was in 2004. And then uh, I, had a, I had a panic attack one night. I thought the OCD thought come in my head and said, you know, God's turned his back on you. Mm. You know, you blaspheme. So I ran from God for like 18 years, you know, and, until – I started getting something sort of drawing me back with him when I said, I, you know, when I went through this bad time uh, eight years ago, when I had five years of this, this uh, horrible experience, uh, when I come out of it, I said, I want to, I want to do something to talk, to tell my life story of what I've been through. And I want to try to help people. I want to, I want to encourage them and I want to bring attention. And something was really telling me to do that. And so it sort of drawn me back to God, you know, because I felt that he was really pushing me. I could feel it. And as I got closer to him, you know, I, 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 man, I, I started getting closer. And finally, I turned my life back to him. And uh, so I started trying to do my film. And so I made a sizzle and everything, you know, and, and everybody was liking it. And I went to a film festival in Las Vegas. And uh, I didn't want to get mixed up in that kind of crowd, you know, and everything. Cause I, I thought, man, the odds of me getting this thing done. But I knew I knew that, that God was behind. I had no doubt in my mind and I don't quit. But I said, I finally sat down. I said, God, what do you want me to do? You know, I finally just asked him, what do you want me to do? And he said the craziest thing in the world to me, man. He said, and I, what, I haven't even thought about him in years. He said, get hold of Evander Holyfield. I mean, it was very odd. I mean, he, he didn't speak to me audibly, but in a, it, very much in my head, mm-hmm. that's what he told me. And I was thinking, I thought out loud, what? You know, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. Get hold of Evander Holyfield. Then I said, how am I supposed to do that? I don't even know where this guy is. Kenny Wooden passed away, unfortunately. And then the next thing he told me was get hold of Tim Hallmark. And I thought it was the craziest thing again, you know, like, well, I don't even know how to. So I was going to do what he said. So I, I found Tim Hallmark's website and I had a little picture of me, him and Evander from 18 years prior and a little, little deal and sent it to him thinking I'm going to look like an idiot. And he messages me. And so he says, you know, this is Tim Hallmark. And I said, that really Tim Hallmark? He said, yeah. He said, oh, you bet your butt it is. So he ends up asking me <laughs> if he could call me. So the next day we're talking. And so, you know, he, he starts helping me very much spiritually. He's, he's become my spiritual mentor, you know. And so he's helping me. And he says, 
I want to uh, give you Evander's email address. You email him this. So we had been talking a couple of months went by and he calls me one day and he says, you know, Craig, uh, I haven't spoken to Evander in a while, like, you know, six or seven months. He said, and I've never done this before in my life, giving out a client's number. He said, well, I prayed about it. I want to give you Evander's cell phone number. Hmm. I said, this guy's going to think I'm crazy, Tim. I mean, I, you give me a six. I say, how did you get my number? He said, man, you got to trust him. You know, you got to trust God. So I prayed and I called him. I don't remember the conversation, but we hit it off, you know, and, and here we are now three years later and best of friends and I help him assist, you know, in certain things. And, you know, we just, we, we, we talk almost daily, you know, a spiritual mentor to me too. You know, we're very close. It's uh, I love that story. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Uh, um, it's really interesting. I think sometimes, and I don't know if you've reflected on it this way. And I guess I just look at it as my journey of faith and whatever pathway someone takes is, and I've, I've had a similar experience where I drifted away, you know, mm -hmm. and I almost, I wonder if I look back that that was the way that it was supposed to be because it allowed me then to acquire that much more knowledge through my good experiences and my very negative experiences to then help people even more. Have you ever looked back upon it that way? Yeah, because, you know, when I thought I blasted him, I ran from him, you know, because I was scared, I, you know. And so when Tim told me, I was son, because when I had my, when, when the Lord came to that night when I got saved, I, I remember it very vividly is that mm -hmm. nothing was happening. I remember looking up and I was doing like Johnny said, pray, you know, and nothing. And I go tell him, he'd say, man, you just keep talking to God. He'd smile at me and say, you just keep praying to God. Talk to him just like you're talking to me. You don't have to say no special thing. Just if you doubt him, tell him. And so every night I did that, man, and nothing happened. You just keep encouraging me. And then two months today, when I did that, I felt, and, you know, and I'm not a hopeless focus guy. You know, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. But I'm telling you, when I was in that room praying, something, something, I felt a presence in that room, man. And uh, it spoke to me, not audibly, but it was, but it, it asked me, if it, it was a voice in my head asking, said, are you ready to make a commitment? And I remember thinking, this is it, man. You know, this, this is it. And then. The next thing he said, you're, you will sin and fall, but will you continue to get up and follow me, Jesus Christ? Hmm. And I thought about it, you know, very, very hard. I said, yes. And the feeling to this day come over me, I can't, I can't explain. But so Tim told me later on when I thought I did that, he says, you know, what did, what did Jesus say to you, man? He said, you will sin and fall. He said he knew what you would do. He didn't say, when you make a commitment that you'll be perfect for forever. He didn't say that. He said, you will sin and fall, but will you continue to get up and follow me, Jesus Christ? That's what you committed to. And when he said that, a light switch went off, you know, and I was like, you're right, you know? And so, uh, you know, he, knew, he knows we're going to do that, you know, that, you know, he knows everything. And so, like, yeah, and it, it has made me closer. The drifting away has made me where I don't want to go back, <laughs> drifting away again. So it's made my face stronger and it's made me to where I don't want to drift away, you know, but it's, it's made me, uh, it's taught me quite a bit. So to answer your question, yes, I think sometimes, you know, I don't think he wants us to, but he knows we're going to do it. And he says all things work together for the good to those who are called according to my purpose. Mm -hmm. So I believe even though we do it, he'll make the good out of it when we come back. And I think that testing thereof is, um, like you said, it brings so much more value. You know, people like uh, newcomers, I'll tell some of my war stories, you know, some of my worst mm -hmm. uh actions in in my addiction and and they're like gosh you're so vivid with it i'm like i keep that close because it reminds mm -hmm. me not to go back to where i was exactly i i, I have no desire to suffer in that way ever again uh you know I, I, yeah it's like i'm no good to anybody in that space and, and um and it's like that you know the the, the five years when i when i was doing bad you know i wish i would have had the lord with me but through that, I can kind of see, you know, you kind of see how he sets the stage for everything. I wouldn't be where I'm at, where I am now with everything I'm doing if I didn't go through that. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be getting my film done. I wouldn't be writing, you know, having have doing my book. I wouldn't be helping people if I didn't go through that, you know. And so I look back and I don't think he wants that. He didn't happen. But some things he allows, I think, to, to bring about his purpose, you know. Absolutely. Well, and it's it, it, like you said, you, yeah, you've had so many different doors open to you. I mean, of people, 
that you've then offered to go and help. And now it's coming back to, you know, folks helping you. Oh man. And, and you know, and, and the way when I did what he said for me to do, man, what, the people that I know now and the things that I'm able to do, and I don't do it to toot my horn because I try to tell people when they ask me, how do you know all these people and do this? I say, because God, man, it's nothing that I, that I did myself. I couldn't do it on my own. And I said, but he'll do the same thing for you. Maybe not what I'm doing, but he'll do the same thing for you and whatever your dreams are and whatever you desire to do. He'll do the same if you put him first. Because, you know, I'm not perfect by no means of the imagination. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I am. I mean, I mess up daily, but I have some, you know, that forgives me and I, and I, and I try my best to, to do the right thing. But my, my thing is, you know, is that, that that's who I'm looking for. And that's who I tell him. I'm like, man, there's, there's nothing I did. I simply just asked him what to do. And I follow what he said and I'm what he's done for me in the last two and a half years, you couldn't, I, I couldn't, there's no way I could do that on my own. Absolutely. No way. You know, yeah. people try to, they try to get your pride there because man, you need to give yourself more credit. I'm like, I, you know, I'm going to work hard and I'm a hard worker. I'm going to work hard in anything I ever do. And I said, but I can't make things happen. You know, I cannot make them things happen, especially the doors he's opened up for me. And, the, and like I say, the people and the connections that I have and the, the stuff I'm doing, there's no way in, in a million years, you know, and it goes deeper than this. We don't have the time to talk, but you know, you know a lot of it, but there's no way I can do that alone. Yeah. Well, one of the things and we were having a great, I don't remember how long we were on the phone, hour and a half. I don't know. And, yeah, I, and, least, and I, yeah. And I brought up to you my, you know, my love of, of boxing and combat sports in general, but you know, and you didn't know this and I want to mm-hmm. share this. I want to share this, this, this story again, not to toot your horn or, or mine in yeah. any way, but that, that power of how things come together. God, I should pull up the text message and, and read it. Cause I've got the, my phone here in front of me. I don't think you do. Um, but we were having that conversation and, and I was talking about, yeah, with boxing, you know, one of my favorite boxers of all time is Sugar Ray Leonard. And it wasn't just because of his work in the ring. It was because when I heard a man that, that I had an admiration for uh, admit that he had went through sexual abuse and that was a part of his addiction and how much that meant to someone like myself that went through it in it as a child. And that a man, sorry, feeling a little emotional about it, um, that I just admired was that open and honest about it. And it was such a, such a beautiful thing. And you were like, yeah, I had an experience with Ray. Yeah. Yeah. You know, me and Ray, uh, you know, we've gotten friends, you know, and I, I met him, we were at, um, uh, Mark Warburg, Mark Warburg celebrity event, you know, and we got to talking and we hit it off. He told me the experience, you know, so we exchanged numbers and we got to be friends, you know, and message and everything and uh, raise a good guy. So, you know, and I told you, I said, well, man, I know Ray. I said, I'll, I'll tell him about, you, you know, I'll message him. And you probably thought I was full of bull, but <laughs> I said, well, as soon as we get off the phone, I'll message him and, 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 you know, and tell him about, you know, and, uh-huh. and so uh, it was real nice when, you know, what he did back. Yeah. You know? I hope he doesn't mind me sharing it. I don't think he would because um, he's such a beautiful person. Tell no, Jake- I, don't, I don't believe it. Tell Jason that it was an automatic message to him from God and continue to inspire as he's showing it now. I'm in your corner. Boxing glove, heart, boxing glove, sugar. Yeah. It had been a while since I had cried, like, in a good way. It was so moving. And I loved it, man, because as soon as he sent it to me, you know, to, to send it to you, I had a screenshot and sent it to you, man. It made me feel so good, you know, that, you know, that uh, you were able to see that, Yeah, you know. And I, I'm, you said how much it touched. It really made me feel good. And I and I hope that you know him knowing that sharing his story helps so many people like myself. And I'm sure it, it he has uh, an understanding of that. Yeah, I was I, I had a uh, I was a, a guest speaker at a big recovery center in uh, by mm. Corpus Christi, and there was a man there that was recovered from drugs and he had been molested. And so I felt in my heart to bring it up about Ray, you know, because he loved Sugar Ray Leonard, and he didn't know that. And so when I said that about, you know, Ray doing that, you know, because Ray told me this public information, you know, and I know that Ray tries to help people, you know, and because uh, we've talked, you know, for a lot, for a lot of uh, time. And so I brought it up and I, and I, I told him, you know, when I was telling everybody, I brought that up and, uh, uh, and some other things about how the Lord put that together, me and Ray. And so when I, when I got through speaking, he came up to me and he said how much that really touched him. 
you know, he didn't know that about sugar and that was his favorite boxer. And it's kind of funny, you know, just how the Lord works. So I was able, you know, just, and it don't matter because touching you and touching others, you know, like that, you don't know how them people end up helping other people. You know, it's just, it's a chain reaction. Absolutely. You know? And so, yeah, when I was on the bus with him, you know, I was, we were coming back from this, this thing and, when this guy wanted to talk to Evander, you know, and he said, you mind if I talk to you? And I said, hey, man, go do a talk to you off, you know. So I was sitting up there with Ray, and uh, we had been talking, eating dinner together and everything, you know, and uh, we struck up a conversation. He was telling me about some personal things about him, and I revealed, you know, about some very personal things about me, and we just clicked, you know. And uh, it's just it's funny because how God, you know, the chances of me and him being put right there together and how we struck, I don't even know how we I, – I still try to remember how the conversation even come up, and I can't remember but to get it in depth like that, you know, that it, it was, again, you know, that how I helped you and, and, and do telling Ray's story and, you know, sending a message straight from Ray, you know, to you. And it's just, you know, it's amazing how things work. Life is weird that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't think it's weird, man. I think, you know, things just, God's got his purpose, you know, in, in doing things. And, and that's what I like doing now, man. I like going out and, and telling people my story. And I don't, I don't preach to anybody. You know, I don't tell anybody what they should believe or nothing like that. I just simply tell them my story, you know, of what's happened with me, you know, and and, and you you can't make the stuff up, you know, this happened. And so it's, it's just remarkable. And I, and I love seeing people. I've, I've, I've touched so many people, not because of anything I do, but because of what the Lord's done. It's touched so many people that I, t- I tell my testimony and everything to, and it's reached so many people, man. It just keeps on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just the... I, they find it fascinating about Minnie Vander's story, you know, because I really go, go in more in depth about things and, you know, it's, uh, it, it's really them. Yeah. I, I can only yeah. imagine. Do we have a, an ETA on the book, the film and the other projects you're working on? Well, man, you know, the, the book is in the process of being written, you know, uh, it, it's a process, you know, writing everything and getting it all put together in the film. I have, I have a producer, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's, we've already signed and things like that. I'm looking for uh, the financing. Uh, th- that's going to be, the film is going to be, it's, it's, people think it's a boxing show. It's not going to be a boxing show. It's going to have boxing in it as, as a background, but it's not going to be a boxing show, which is a very good show, but I, it, it's a, it's a segment of my, based on my life, but it's not my life story. It's, it's a segment of a part of my life. Now my book is going to be my, my biography, my uh, autobiography that, uh, that, that I'm getting done. But uh, I have other films I want to do in books also. But these these are the ones that I, I want to do right now because I think it's, you know, to help people, you know, and by giving them encouragement and everything. Yeah, so so the ETA, it's it's going to be, you know, it's, it don't happen overnight. There's a lot of – the book's going to be a lot – you know, it's not as hard, you know, to get that done. I just got to get it written. But, you know, the film, there's a lot of work in part. So especially right now with the the, the strike that's going on, you know, the uh, in L.A. with with a – writers and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of put a little slowdown on, but it's also giving me time to, you know, try to uh, get my, my investors. And that's, that's really what I'm looking for uh, uh, investors to want to uh, invest in it. Absolutely. Well, we're going to put the, uh, some links in the uh, description here. If you guys want to keep in touch, Craig, reach out to him. I mean, yeah, it, d- despite him looking like a really tough guy, you're, <laughs> you're a sweet man and, and you're here to help. So please don't hesitate to, uh, to reach out, you, you just um, trust me. You're, he's a brilliant man and uh, with a huge okay. heart. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Craig, we're going to do some fun stuff now, all right? Some random questions. Are you ready? I'm ready, boy. Uh, top three boxing movies. Your three favorite. Well, of course, Rocky. You know, it's going to be some of the Rockies. And I love the fighter because, you know, I know Mickey Ward. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had the honor of meeting Mark Wahlberg. And, you know, I'll be around him again. So 
So I love the fighter. And then I liked uh, um, um, the one over there about uh, James Braddock, um, Cinderella Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like Cinderella Man. You know, I really like that story. You know, yeah. so that would be, it would be those three fighters, those three movies about the fighters. Yeah. All good ones. All good ones. First mm-hmm. time I've had someone about boxing movies and they didn't throw Raging Bull in there. And I'm like, I, I like Raging <laughs> Bull, but it's a little further down the way for me too. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna yeah, do? Jake Lamotta. Yeah. Um pet peeves. What 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 irks you? What just annoys you? Uh hypocrites. Mm. I don't I don't like uh people that uh you know judge other people and do the same thing, you know, and, and they're very judgmental. I don't like hypocrisy and I I don't like um uh you know, I don't like bullies. You know, that's that's I know that's what nobody does, but one of my, my pet peeves, I, I just don't like I don't like hypocrites, man. I don't like people that, you know, put down other people and stuff like that and to, to do whatever and they're doing the same thing, you know. That's uh, that that's one of my pet peeves. Yeah, drives me absolutely yeah. bananas too. Yeah. Uh, if you could have dinner with any one person living or not, who would it be and why? Man, I like I think it'd be Denzel Washington, man. You know, because people always say, what about Jesus? I eat Jesus up all the time. You know, he, he's alive and, and I, you know, I'm with him all the time. But I, I would, Denzel Washington, because I think I love Denzel. I think he, he's one of my favorite actors. And not to mention, um, he's he's a Christian guy and he's very wise, you know, and I think he'd be a great guy to talk to about uh, the film industry and and, um, and also just to sit out. I'd love just to sit down and talk with him about, you know, faith and just to talk to him. I think he's just a great guy. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of good things about him. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, the best advice I ever received was to, to talk to God. When Johnny kept telling me, you just pray and talk to God. That's probably the, the best advice. Or it changed my life. You know, when he kept telling me, and he would keep encouraging me, saying, you just keep praying and keep talking to God. It's probably the best advice I've ever received. Uh, worst adv- worst advice you ever received? Uh, worst advice I've ever received was, um, oh man, there's so much <laughs> worse. You know, they say the worst advice is advice. Uh, <laughs> the worst advice I've ever received, um, you know, if it feels good, do it. <laughs> you know, I'd probably say, if it feels good, do it. It gets you in a lot of trouble. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never mm. thought of that. And yes, it does, Craig. I, yeah. I'm a living testimony to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of my mottos is doing the right thing uh, doesn't most often will not feel good. And doing the wrong thing often feels good in the moment. Well, so, right. And it, uh, in a lot of times it gets you in a lot of trouble. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, last random question. Um, what does success look like to you? Well, success is like, I think it's like the, the beauties and eye of the beholder. It's what do you consider success. You know, I mean, some people, you know, think success is, to me, success is when a kid comes up to me in the store and tells me, you helped me in my life. You know, now because my confidence, I believe I can do what I want to do. And that, that to me is a success when I talk to somebody, you know, in, in private and, you know, and uh, help them when they're having anxiety. And, you know, they call me at two o'clock in the morning or what have you, and I can talk them through it and give them hope. That's success, but I'm going to be great. And I think success can sometimes be about just you. Being great is when you can achieve what you want to do, but help other people. And so I want to be great, you know, because I don't want to just be about me. But again, to answer your question, success is to me is is helping other people, you know, and 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 doing that. That to me, success. Yeah. Well, Craig, this is a time I like to uh, leave the guests where you have the floor to close us out. If there's anything you want to lend to uh, someone who's struggling or maybe they have a loved one who is, what 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 might you say to them? It, you know, it depends on the struggling, but I always tell people there's hope, you know, that, uh, you know, don't ever give up, don't quit. What I love what Evander said one time is when I was sitting there talking to him, I said, you know, Evander, when, what was it like when you lost your first fight? He said, I don't ever, I ain't ever lost. I don't lose. I was like, well, yeah, he goes, no, no, man, you lose and you quit. He said, I just don't get the decision sometimes, you know? And so my thing I tell people is don't quit. You know, there's, there's, to keep on going, there's, there's always help because I felt the same way when my medicine wouldn't work and 
I was going to this stuff and, you know, it got very, you know, gloomy because I was losing hope, but we kept on striving. I wouldn't quit. And I finally got the help I needed, got the medication and here I go, you know, and so don't quit, keep on going. If you, if you know, um, there's always help out there. There's always a way, you know, and, and just don't give up. Don't give up, you know, and, and I tell them, you know, I don't ever try to tell anybody, you know, what they should believe. I hope that what, what I think is better well done than well said. And so I try to let my life, you know, if they ask me my thing, I tell them, but my, just my whole thing, man, is that there's hope out there. You know, Frederick Nietzsche said, hope is a better stimulant for life than happiness will ever be. And so, you know, hope is a big thing and don't give up hope and don't quit, you know, um, with anything you do, you know, is, uh, keep it. If it looks doing good, get help. And, uh, and it's available. And just and just in something it'll get it'll work out. Everything always ends up getting better. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.